0: When I was a kid, maybe six or seven, eight years old, something like that, our family had a program where you could make your own newspaper. And young journalistic Joey said, I want to do that. So I put on my little reporter's cap, made up some stories, had some fake quotes. I don't really remember what the stories were about, but they were pretty solid, I thought, for being in second grade. Like they had some good fact checking in there, so I had some good reporting. It was sort of a mix of household. Activities that were going on and as well as maybe some things at school. I think I just made up a couple of things too from the sports world. That type of stuff is the dominant era of the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, all the good stuff. And I made this whole newspaper, thought, hmm, what am I gonna call my newspaper? And you know a lot of newspapers have Daily or uh you know The Times or something like that in it. So I was like, okay, I want to get Daily in there. For whatever reason, the name of that newspaper was The Daily H-O-A-R. I'll let you say it. I don't want to impede with a bad word here, but just think about that. H-O-A-R. What does that sound like? I didn't know what the word it sounds like meant. I just thought it sounded like boar to me. And I, I loved boar. I mean, Lion King, we got Timon and Pumbaa, and yes, I know he's a warthog, but it's kind of like a boar. So that was where my mind was, but apparently I just didn't know what I was talking about. And so the newspaper suffered. We had to fold because of that title. I guess I could have just changed the title, and it would have been a real simple fix. But I didn't. It was devastating. And the Daily HOAR had only that one issue. But the point was that I did something new. I built on something. I, I flipped the assumptions of what was possible. Made my little newspaper here. And here I am today, still writing, still telling stories. Almost three decades later. That's pretty wild. My guest today, as far as I know, never had a newspaper growing up, but he did have a journal where he would make all kinds of different designs and ideas and use that to continue his interest in learning new things and wanting to explore graphic design, CGI, motion effects, all these cool things as well as telling stories. So we bond over that, because you should kind of blend all of these together to become a more proficient storyteller. He's worked with lots of big, innovative companies like Nike, Adidas, Apple, Intel. And he's learned quite a bit along the way to form his own studios, now start his own business, create his own empire. So we're talking all about his very first designs, how he's risen up and created some very impressive, spectacular things. Worked with some super collaborative people. Almost got a lawsuit from a company. We'll dive into all of that. It's a lot of glorious stuff. His book, The Innovator's Handbook, is available right now. And if you've got any kind of creative project idea, you even just want to learn a little more in general, it's full of actionable tactical advice. And it's not like some long college textbook that's 2,000 pages and serves as a paperweight in the meantime serves as a brick i guess in the meantime where you could chuck it at someone and actually do some damage it's a design to be taken with you designed to be kept by your desk referred to quick and dirty super easy to digest to read and to implement and that's probably the most important part i'm joey held this is good people cool things and here's my conversation with hussein al Musawi. you give us your name and elevator pitch but also the type of elevator that we're riding on
1: all right uh, so my name is Hossein al Musawi. Uh, i'm a cgi artist product designer and author of the innovators handbook a book that came out a month ago and i run my own studio called Musawi studios where i work on uh, digital worlds and physical worlds i try to blur the lines between the two
0: do you remember the first thing that you designed where you were kind of like okay this this might be something here
1: I designed since I was a kid. I mean, it's run in the family, the artistic side of things. Uh, It's really tough. Like if I want to go really back, I remember I had like a small journal that I used to Mm -hmm. just sketch some uh, futuristic ideas. And yeah, like I drew a train, I drew a car, I drew a shoe. I don't know what came first, but I was always thinking (laughs) about what, what I was fascinated by the future and by great ideas. I guess that's something that I was always into.
0: Did you uh, successfully predict all of the crazy things that are part of our life now back then? <laughs> there
1: is one thing. I, I did a train, uh, and my idea was that, and I don't know if this ex- uh, exists like exactly this way, but the idea was that you'd put some magnets behind the train, like large magnets. I'm, like, I was a seven-year-old, so <laughs> uh, large magnets that would turn around and then would push against the track and then push the train. And I think something along those lines were made. Uh, so I don't know. I got to look into it. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Predicting the future, though. I like it. I like it.
0: <laughs> and so in addition to the Innovator's Handbook, which has just come out, you had another birth, which is the birth of your child. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you so that. much. You got
0: two big, two big things going on towards the end of the year here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank have you. you. Have you found uh, that reading your book to your child helps with sleeping or, or calming down? Or have you not tried that yet? I'm not going to even try it. <laughs> <laughs> It might just spur too many ideas. <laughs> They'll never go to sleep. <laughs> so where did the book, where did the idea from the book, or for the book, I should say, come from? Because, I mean, it, you've, you've been designing since you were a kid. It sounds like you maybe had like a little, your little journal was was maybe an early version of this almost, of like a, a book where you would, you know, refer to it. You'd you jot down ideas and things. So was that sort of the impetus for it? Or was there something else that was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn what I know into a book?
1: Sure. So, so as a kid, I was always fascinated by innovators and innovations and big ideas. And to me, it always felt that this is uh, something that's really overwhelming. Like, how can I ever become a great innovator? How did this person think of this idea? And just being an aspiring designer, aspiring innovator, uh, always being curious, uh, I was always trying to find ways of how I can better find ideas to innovate and come up with ideas. So I always had this dream to work for companies like Nike, Adidas. I was always into sports. And in 2012, when I got my first uh, opportunity to intern, uh, got a design internship with Nike, uh, things really changed for me. I got to see things from the inside. Uh, I then got to work with Adidas, got to work with EA Sports, got to work with Apple, Ford, lots of different companies. So all these big and innovative companies. Then the idea of the book came was, uh, okay, now I'm seeing lots of overlapping patterns between these companies, how they think, how these brilliant minds think. How can I simplify this into a fun, short book that uh, me as a 20-year-old, 18-year-old, aspiring designer in college, for example, I could just uh, read these, learn from these insights, from these principles of what makes me a better innovator. So, So that was the whole idea, compiling these thoughts, these principles, these insights, putting them in a fun, short read, And then also making it very actionable. So some things are just ideas and uh, I share stories, lots of personal stories of things that I've seen in the industry. But then there's also exercises that we did as a team in the industry, like things that allowed us to uh, come up with new ideas and ideate and brainstorm as a team. So I try to cover both grounds in this short, fun book.
0: Do you have a a favorite of the exercises?
1: Uh, So in the book, uh, there's many, of course, but in the book, I highlight eight that I really like. Uh, one of them for example is called forced connections and forced connection is taking two very different things that are not related to each other bringing them together and coming up with an idea out of it so for example if i said uh, bicycle wheel and a guitar for example so as just a concept at this point doesn't really have to work Maybe I can uh, use the strings of the guitar and put it in the wheel. And then as you're riding, maybe it plays some music, for example. So just forcing those connections of things that have nothing to do with each other. And there's this great book uh, called uh, The Medici Effect by Franz Johansson. He talks a lot about finding these intersections and uh, combining ideas that are not related and how innovation can come to life out of this. So this is one. And and also, by the way, in biomimicry, uh, my master's degree was in biomimicry, finding innovation through nature. And there's a lot of this, uh, looking at, for example, uh, I, did, I designed a car, and I looked at the toucan bird. So the toucan beak, it's one-third its total size, but it's, uh, it's like 15% its total mass, its weight. So how can I get this lightweight structure that's super, du- super durable, super strong, and then apply this to a car structure? So again, taking those learnings, bringing nature, bringing automotive, putting them together. So that's one thing. Uh, another great exercise that i like is called flipped assumptions so you you use your assumptions of any product let's say i'm designing a a phone or let's say it's a concept for a restaurant what does a restaurant usually have what are our assumptions it has chairs it has a chef it has a opening time closing time uh, they cook food for you and so on now flip those assumptions all right it doesn't have a chef then okay do you take your own food it doesn't have chairs is it like picnic style it doesn't have this, so so it just allows you and forces you to look at things through a whole different lens and with a new perspective. And sometimes some ideas work, some don't, and it's totally fine. But uh, again, like how can you be pushed to think outside of the box and think of new ideas that you never thought of? So those are two that I really like and enjoy.
0: I like it, and the uh, the bicycle and guitar—a good reminder that I I both need to replace my bike's tires <laughs> and uh, my guitar's strings. So <laughs> good. <laughs> I like it. That's how I'm. That's how I'm pairing the two. Is I've got to get these done. <laughs> we'll we'll talk some more about some of the companies that you worked at. It's a little teaser for the top three, so entice people to stick around. But I always think with these innovative companies, you know, you hear you hear about them, or if you've worked for them, you you experience it up front. And I've worked like I think I've been pretty lucky to also work for companies that are very big on innovation and and will actually allow you to explore something or you know go after something that. Maybe another company might be like, no, that's not part of your job description. Like, just just stay in this line here. So I was curious, have you ever gotten pushback or resistance on something? And how how did you get through that?
1: Yeah, that happens, of course, everywhere you work, anywhere you work, small companies, big companies, there's always pushback. And there's good pushback and bad pushback. I've worked with teams that are super positive, uh, teams where we bounce ideas off each other. I give them an idea, they don't like the idea, but also how you react to an idea. So there's something called the power of and. Let's say you give me an idea, I can easily, uh, like let's say you say, let's design this phone, but it should be a red colored phone. And I don't like that idea. So I can say, yeah, that's a great idea. And maybe we can also try a blue color. So just that power of and, it really keeps the momentum and keeps the positivity in the team. And I've seen lots of great ideas come out of small teams, big teams, but... Positive vibes—that's the number one thing. And I've also been on teams where negativity has killed ideas from the very beginning of ideation, due to jealousy, due to uh, people just not wanting other people's ideas to come out. You know, if it's not their idea. So, so to answer your question, I'd say choosing a positive team—that's number one. And from your uh, perspective, as a designer, as an innovator, also being very open to, uh, like, not being arrogant and saying that your idea is the idea because how innovation really works is you plan to go from point A to point B, but you usually land on point C so allow for yourself and for your team to push each other and to move you forward to that point C which is the innovation territory and you're, you'll usually land on a on a thing or on a place on an idea that you didn't even have in mind so so have that openness to to accept new things and to listen to people and to work with people and bounce ideas off each other. So that's definitely a well-needed thing in innovation.
0: Yes, yes, I fully, fully agree. No notes, that's fantastic. And I, have you found that, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, the the advent of technology, there's many people that I have worked with who I've never met in person. You know, we're doing this call from, from different locations. Have you found that that's ever- been a limitation on innovation or does it does it kind of expand it almost too because it's like hey we're you know we're not right in the same room it's maybe not like the the energy of that room is is in both of us like we've each bringing kind of our our unique flair to it do you do you think that i guess distance is 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 beneficial for innovation or is it is it a little stifling for it
1: i think it's an advantage and of course it comes down to the person like do you prefer to work with people like in an office do you like to do things online but I worked, for example, with a designer in Albania, uh, Marine Miftio, and we designed, we designed the Jaguar concept car. We designed an Cycle electric bike, which got lots of awards and recognition around the world. Uh, and the n Cycle was the project that allowed us to meet each other in Germany, and we presented the bike at Eurobike. And then we designed the N3 and a couple of other projects. N3 was a three-wheel electric trike. So. If it wasn't for working with people online and from a distance, I would have never met Marine. And I wouldn't have met other people that I met through Marine. And he wouldn't have met people that he met through me. And we would not have had this friendship and this partnership and collaboration. So so definitely it opens doors and it allows for people to, to get together that would have never had the chance. But on the other hand also, I've worked with teams where it gets a bit more intimate. You're in the same room, you feel the positivity, uh, people are excited, you work much longer hours. Uh, So I think both have their own benefits and it really depends on the person and the team as well. So who really keeps you going? Like with Marine, for example, we shared lots of ideas. We bounced ideas off of each other, even though we were in a distance, but those ideas really led to big things and had huge impact. And I felt good working with him. He felt the same. Uh, So yeah, again, it really goes back to the specific situation and the project that you're working on. It's hard to tell which one is better.
0: Yeah, I I think the only time I'm... i I would say like anti-remote is if everyone else is in one room and I'm like the lone person not there, which I've occasionally had to do, you know, if I was sick or something. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I still want to hear everything. And then it's just, I mean, it's like trying to wrangle school children. There's like 20, 20 people. They're all like dissonant across the room. And I was like, sure.
1: And the bigger the group gets also, I mean, you have people who are introverts, extroverts. Sometimes you have amazing ideas and you just sit in the back. You're afraid to share your ideas. Uh, You're afraid of being judged. I think fear is like the number one thing that holds people back. And you have that situation. I mean, when it's a bigger group, sometimes people with the most amazing ideas are just quiet the whole time. So I personally like to work in smaller groups, even like two to three people maximum, where I'm very close with, uh, I know that they believe in me, I believe in them, and then we can work together as a unit. So that's key for me.
0: I have one selfish question that might be, uh, might be helpful to other people planning a trip, but I uh, am planning a European trip next spring. And when you said Germany, that's like top of my list. So is there a spot you, you must go to in Germany?
1: Yes. Yeah, so when I worked uh, as a senior designer with Adidas, I flew a lot to Germany. That's the world headquarters. Uh, I love Germany. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who really loves uh, scenic places and it's really, really beautiful, especially the borders between Germany and Switzerland and Austria. If you like nature, that's a place to go. Heaven on earth.
0: <laughs> Lovely. I love hearing that. That's that's what I'm mapping out so far. So <laughs> fantastic. We'll report back. We'll do a follow-up segment in uh in June and we can <laughs> talk <laughs> some Germany. <laughs> Something else that I I like in how you you like this is a part of your bio, is that you love blurring the lines between product design, visual effects, and storytelling. And I was just talking with someone how He's like, I love like like writing and design should be something that are together, and and a lot of times they do get separated. And so, since you are blurring these lines, what are some of the ways you do that, and and how can other people do that too?
1: So I think this takes us back to the very first question that you asked about forced connections. When I'm when I'm thinking even about my process and the way I work. So, for example, let's say I'm designing a shoe, and when I was in the industry, uh, they used to have like. One or two programs that where you could design the shoe in three D, and that's it. That's the way they did it. But I never knew how to use those programs. I came in with a visual effects background, and I knew how to use programs. Uh, it might sound foreign, but it's called Houdini. Uh, it, they use it for like uh, movies and for games, and you do crazy effects in it, uh, explosions and fluid simulations, and so on. So, so I came in with the idea of using Houdini to design my footwear and design algorithms to design my footwear. And it created a whole different set of outputs and things that were very unexpected, and the team hadn't seen before. And the advantage was that I was using something that wasn't really meant for product design, industrial design, and I was bringing that into my process and designing shoes out of it. So, so that's how I blur the lines between things that are in the physical world, shoes, and the digital world, my three D experience, and bringing those together. Uh, so it could be an aesthetic, it could be a functional thing where I'm taking data from an athlete's foot then plugging that into my program and then creating algorithms out of it and then seeing the different outputs that I can have. It's just like AI design, if you've seen AI-generated images recently. So it's the same thing. It's something that uh, we never used before. Now it's become a new tool that we can use for ideation. So again, how can you bring different things from all different places and blur the lines between those? That's something that I'm very passionate about because I've studied graphic design. I've studied industrial design. Uh, With my studio, I heavily work in visual effects, CGI. And I'm very passionate about all of them. So how can I really produce all while, while also not just focusing on one thing? So that's really what I'm very interested and excited in.
0: Do you have something that you maybe haven't shown anyone or shown too many people where you're like, oh, I'm excited about this, but it's, it's maybe not fully ready for the world yet?
1: There's always projects. Uh, so one thing that I do uh, like outside of my client work is what if. So what if, uh, an existing brand did a product that they never did. That's something I do for fun and I usually share it online and it gets some good reactions. So one that I'm working on now is What If Mercedes, the car company, they designed the futuristic 6 sneaker. So I'm looking at visual elements from like their concept cars and bringing that into my footwear experience and then producing a shoe that was never done before. I did the same with Tesla. What do Tesla soccer boots look like? And the conversation online gets really crazy. Like when I posted those, people even get creative. They chip in with ideas. Like maybe it's a football boot that can auto-score. It just, uh, you know, instead of auto-drive, they can just auto-score. And people get silly and funny with ideas. And that's what design is all about. And it's those silly, funny ideas that really, that I love because they're very futuristic and we think that they're crazy. But then we start to ask the right questions. Okay, how can I actually do that? What if I am thinking of a shoe for 2100? Uh, or 3000, year 3000, how can I make that happen in year 2022? So bringing the future closer to where we are today and then bridging that gap and then seeing, okay, maybe we can manufacture it this way, maybe we can design it this way, maybe if we did this or did this or did this, and that's what really always pushes the envelope and that's what really keeps me going.
0: I like it. I think Elon should be taking notes here. Like, let's get let's get a, a football boot and not worry about check marks on Twitter. Like, that's that's gonna bring it way more money.
1: Yeah, when I do these concepts, I'm always uh, worried it's either gonna get a good reaction or a lawsuit, one of the two. <laughs> so, so we did the Jaguar concept car, the one that I mentioned with Marine, uh, my friend Marine Miftio. It was the same time that. Uh, one of I don't remember exactly which car, but Jaguar was releasing a new car. This was in 2011, and it got a lot of exposure on different design websites, blogs. Jaguar magazine actually put it their cover. That's how like excited they were about it. And then the next day, we got an email from somebody from the company, like, "Hey guys, I need some details from you." And like we were excited, you know, they're gonna buy the they're gonna buy the idea. That's it, <laughs> we made it. Uh, actually, on Twitter, he reached out. He said he wants our emails. And then we, we sent him our emails and we were super excited, anxious, waiting. <laughs> so we got an email that it was, uh, if you don't remove it or don't change the name of the car or don't change the logo, it was like, uh, you know, a lawsuit is coming your way. If you, <laughs> and we were super confused, like it was on the Jaguar magazine. And then we have this guy from their PR team is, uh, is threatening us for the lawsuit. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, hopefully I, hopefully you, you satisfied their requirements before. Actually, <laughs> we were students action. at
1: the time. so okay. And I wasn't going to sign anything or do anything. But, but I learned the lesson at least. And also there's a risk. I mean, some companies, they are very sensitive with their brand, uh, with their logos. And it was a sensitive time, which we didn't know. Like another car was coming out. And people were talking about our car, not their car. <laughs> so I, I can see like, uh, that it wasn't a good idea. But we were young students. It was done with good intentions. And uh, then eventually we removed the logos and everything, and everything was good. And they were happy. We were happy. So, but yeah, it's an interesting story to
0: tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always think, uh, and, and, you know, having, having worked with large companies, like I fully understand protecting the brand. And, and, uh, yeah, if it's done with malice, I'm like, I understand that. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know. This, this kind of seems like good, good brand yeah, awareness. Like most for people you. <laughs> who do it, they do
1: it out of love for the brand. Like yeah. I'm sure, like if you go on Behance, which is a design website, where people can post their portfolios and works. There's lots of concepts for Samsung phones or iPhones. And people do it because they love the brand. They love Apple. They love Samsung. They love Ford. They love, you know, all these big companies. And as young designers, we look up to these big companies that, oh, I want to be at that level. I want to do something that is as cool as them. So it's always done with appreciation to the brand. But, uh, but yeah, you, you got to be careful sometimes.
0: Today's sponsor is mylifeinabook.com, and it's a really special one for me because we don't often get to offer a truly unique, meaningful, and life-changing gift to our loved ones. We're usually getting something symbolic, like a you know a chocolate that someone really likes, or a material objects like Boggle or Coo. I mean, Coo's a great game. Boggle, mm, I could take it or leave it, but I know some people. Peggy Hill, she loves some Boggle. Those gifts... Sure, they're great, but they don't truly build a legacy for our loved ones. With mylifeinabook.com, you can give any close family member of your choice the opportunity to write their own life story for future generations. You get to learn everything about them, their biggest childhood challenge. For me, it was pull-ups. When we had to do pull-ups in gym class, I'd watch my other classmates who maybe weren't chunky kids. They'd do 10, 15 pull-ups like it ain't no thing. I couldn't even get one today you give me a pull-up bar? I still probably can't get one. They're very hard. I don't like pull-ups. The craziest thing they've ever done as young adults? Probably a volunteer trip. I went on to the Dominican Republic while I was in college. It was a month of adventuring and helping build schools and teaching kids English. It was fantastic. I would highly recommend anyone do anything like that. Those are just two of the questions. There's much more. MyLifeInABook.com makes the process so So easy. Your loved one will get a question of your choice every week. You can either select from a suggested list or write your own. If you want to really ask someone about nature or their favorite travel destinations or anything like that, all they have to do is answer the question and provide a meaningful picture. At the end of one year, they're all gathered in a beautiful keepsake book, and you can order as many additional copies as you want. My mom, a few years ago, was going through some old photo books and had a lot of cool photos but didn't have the context for all of them and if she had something like this we could have had a big old keepsake we can grab all those photos we can put questions and answers to them make it a wonderful truly magical experience for both of us because i'm learning more about her she's getting to see all of these things put together it's wonderful and fantastic think about it what better way to show your loved ones how much their life means to you and what better way to preserve their memories and life lessons for the future and because you are listening to this show i got you with ten dollars off your first purchase just use discount code gpct it's also in the show notes if you just want to click a link you're like i don't want to type stuff i just want to click a link i got you covered there that's gpct to get ten dollars off on mylifeinabook.com And perhaps that segues nicely into you starting your own business uh, back in 2019. And was that something that you, you would always kind of wanted to be working up to? Or was it just you were at a point where I'm like, hey, I want to do a lot of different work with, with different people. And, and you were getting a lot of requests. Like, How did that go from individual to, to full studios?
1: So as a, as a designer, when I was back in middle school, I'd say, I always had this dream, Nike, Adidas, or even Disney. Like these were three companies that I I was dreaming about. And I came from a small island called Bahrain. It's on the other side of the world, in the Middle East. Uh, Not a lot of people know about the country. It's so small, not much going on there. But I always had this dream. I always looked at myself as a dream chaser. How can I have these big aspirations, these big goals, these big dreams to one day work in these companies that I love to work for? So I came, I studied in the US, and I thought that it's going to be much easier now to get in. But visa situations and it's not as easy as, as it is. You need a work permit to, to actually work in the US. So so there were lots of challenges for me. And I applied over 80 times to these companies until I actually got in over five years. And I didn't give up. And that's the thing. Persistence and believing in your dreams, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. That's really big. So long story short, I got into a design internship with Nike. I moved to EA Sports. I worked with Adidas as a senior designer. That was always my dream, working with signature athletes, uh, James Harden in the NBA, football players, and so on. So my thing is I always ask myself, I should never be satisfied. I should always ask myself, what's next? So for me at that time, what's next was starting my own company. Like I felt I was on the inside. I was in this big corporate bubble. I had lots of great experiences, met lots of amazing people. But what, what's the next big goal for me is to start my own studio, build my own empire rather than be a number in a big company. At the end of the day, when you work for any company, you're just a number. And we see like when there's economic situations, they will just get rid of you uh, just the next day. Nobody will mention your name. So I wanted to create something for myself, create my own studio. And then through my own studio, I was uh, fortunate enough to continue working with Adidas, with Nike, with all these big brands that I always dreamed of. And it's been uh, it's been a great experience. And again, of course, I'm so asking myself, what is next? Do I want to keep growing the business? How do I grow the business? Who do I want to keep working with? What are some of the clients? How much money do I want to make? Again, keep pushing myself. Keep pushing myself. Never be satisfied. Because the moment that you think you've made it, I think that's the moment that you fail. Mm-hmm.
0: I like it. And, and have you found that there's you know of the of those questions you all just asked or or something else? Has there been something that's a challenge that kind of took you by surprise of like, oh, I, I don't know if I was expecting that.
1: I always thought that, and I think lots of people think this, that you always have a dream company you only work for. And you think once you make it, that's it. You're in the happy land and everything's good. And you know, you're know you just happy all the time. But it's just people. I mean, it's a big brand. It's a logo behind it that you're, you know, you're working in a closed office. But it's just people, the same problems that you have in any different company. The jealousies, the egos, the politics, the gossip, The good people, the bad people, people who want to step on each other. So you see those closely, and to me, that's a very shocking thing. But then in the beginning, it was very shocking. But then as I moved between different companies, I saw that everywhere. So then you got to choose your battles. you got to choose who you want to work with. you got to choose your close circle, the positive people that you want to be with. And that was, I guess, a shocking experience to me that allowed me to think beyond working in the industry and starting my own thing and building my own team around me. So, so that was definitely like the biggest shock.
0: Now, another question I always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And I think this, this goes back to, to kind of uh, you know, reversing the uh, flipping assumptions where I think most people would be like, how can I turn my passion into a business? But with you, it's how do you turn your business into a passion? So how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, how do you turn your business into a passion? I think it takes us back to how do you turn your passion into a business. So the reason I started my business is because I had the passion. I always loved design. I always loved sports. That's how I got started into designing. And that's how I, I grew and I built my network, my connections. And that's what I do today because from day one, I always loved this. never felt like work. It, I work 24-7 anyways. And not literally 24-7, but I work all the time around the clock. So I love it. I love what I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy collaborating with people. I enjoy producing stuff that people get excited about, creating experiences. So when I started my business, it was really an easy step, that I had the passion. I had already freelanced a lot in the past. I had the connections, I had the network. Of course, when you start, there are different set of challenges. Like I learned a lot of things as a business owner versus just a designer working for a company, and having a strategy, growing the business building a network, building a team around yourself. But I guess the number one thing is you shouldn't be overwhelmed by all of this. There's a lot of things that are involved. Just take baby steps. And when you start a company, you're not really an empire. You're just by yourself. You're doing the same things. But it's the way you market yourself, the way you brand yourself, the way you put yourself out there to the world, uh, the things that you do, your expertise, and letting people be excited about what you do and attracting new business to yourself. So that's, that's the number one thing when I start my
0: own business. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I think it's it, but that point about you're still an individual when you first start. Like it can, it can feel like, oh, I'm, I need to dive headfirst into everything. And I think that's just a great way to, to scare yourself away from really, really actually. Yeah. Like I've had
1: friends who were with me in the industry. They wanted to start and they were, they were really scared of like simple stuff, like all legal contracts, logo, website. Okay. It's all important stuff, but you can start without any of that. I mean, to set up an LLC in the States, it's like 250 or $300. It's nothing. Any accountant, even yourself, you can set it up. And that's all you need. You don't even need that. You can even start without that as a freelancer. So it's really easy. But we sometimes are overwhelmed by the different things that are out there. Like we think company, we think it's this huge thing. I need an office. I need a space. No, you can work from home. I mean, COVID taught us all that we can all work from home. So there's a lot of ways to cut costs. There's a lot of ways to do things easier. and you know, again, flipping assumptions of how things should be done and doing it in a different way,
0: definitely. And sometimes you might mess up and like, that's fine too. Like you, course, you'll learn along course, the way. Course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's one of the titles in the book, learning to fail, whether you're starting a business or designing a new product, learning to fail. Every failure is something that it's a lesson because now that I have failed 10 times, I know that I shouldn't be doing those 10 things that I did. And when I did those 10 mistakes, and if you haven't done those 10 mistakes, I'm more experienced than you now. So use those to your advantage. Those failures aren't, aren't things that are going to take you down. They're things that are going to elevate you. When you have that mindset towards failure, you just keep growing, 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 and building uh, and just achieving great things. So definitely learning to fail, it's a huge thing in life, not just yeah. in design. <laughs>
0: All right, Hussein, you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with the top three. And we've kind of been teasing this throughout the episode. You've mentioned some of the companies that you worked for, but if you had to narrow it down to the top three companies you've worked for, and maybe maybe a reason why, too, what are they?
1: So the first would be Nike. When I started my design internship, the way I looked at design and innovation, it was totally different before and after Nike. When I worked with Nike, Changed 180 degrees. Uh, I learned a lot about how they approach innovation, how they look at ev- as everything as innovation. Like I always thought, Nike is a sports company, but when or a shoe company. But when you go in the company, they tell you, no, we're an innovation company. But we design shoes, we design sports products. It's a it's a whole different mindset. So definitely, Nike is number one. I have lots of appreciation for the people who work there, uh, the designs that they do, the innovation, the products. It's an amazing company. So that's one. Uh, Two would be Apple. So I worked with Apple for a whole year. Uh, I can't mention the product. Again, worried about legalities. Sure, sure. <laughs> but what I learned at Apple was the obsession to details. It was crazy. The obsession to details. Like if the product that we were working on, let's say when it goes out to the keynote or you see it in the store, the lighting, okay, it's it's lit maybe a bit from the, from the side, but then you need a bit of lighting from the bottom. Then the shadow that is between the buttons and the product, and this, and that, and it's just things that you never thought about. Never thought about when you're looking at just a piece of, uh, like, an advertisement. Obsession to details. And after Apple, I was always looking at things with great obsession. Like, even my wife was tired of it. She's like, <laughs> you're just overdoing everything in life. But it wasn't intentional. Like, it was, it was something that I appreciated a lot, and I loved working with Apple, and it's something that I continue in my work to this day. Whatever I do, there's always obsession to the details. And that's what makes Apple, Apple. They're highly, highly, highly obsessed with details. So so that's uh, that's the second one, Apple. Then the third one, uh, I'd say Adidas because I worked with uh, a lot of great athletes, signature athletes, a lot of great designers. I learned a lot at Adidas. Uh, learned a lot about innovation, about design, about manufacturing, uh, being within a team that is... Uh, innovative, working with the good and the bad. So I had lots of amazing experiences there that elevated me and allowed me to grow. So it was a dream company that I always wanted to work for. So yeah, Nike,
0: Apple, and Adidas, those three. A nice list, a nice list there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hussein, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. This was fantastic. And I I highly recommend the Innovator's Handbook to... I mean, I would say just about anyone. Uh, I guess if you have no hopes or aspirations, then I, I, I don't know, it still might uh, it still might inspire you a little bit. But um, definitely- Of course, pers- it's for everyone yes. to
1: come up with new ideas, push the boundaries, and a small insights. It's a fun, short book to inspire you and supercharge you. So,
0: And if people want to find it or learn more about you, where can they find you?
1: So the book is on Amazon, The Innovator's Handbook. Uh, to find me on Instagram, uh, just type my name, you'll find me. And LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, those are the top two that I'm active in. So very easy to find.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for taking the time to chat. And we hope, at least in the coming weeks, you get a little more sleep since you've, uh, you've got a <laughs> newborn child to,
1: thank you, thank you, thank
0: you. to handle. And of course, we got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. This one's a little bit of a mouthful, so we'll see how I can get through it. But Quentin Tarantino, Greta Gerwig, and Matthew McConaughey are all getting together to make a movie. Tarantino said, you know what? I'll produce this. Gerwig says, "I'll direct it." McConaughey goes, "I'll write. I'll write. I'll write." Good <laughs> after today, people. <laughs> Good people, cool things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, Joey at Good People Cool Things. Dot .com thank you to all of the guests who have been on good people cool things and check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com as always thank you for listening and have a wonderful day